Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 14 of Ferg's Footy Fanfare. I'm Jay, and as usual, I'm here with Ned. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Jay. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. It's, um, trying to fill the gap with a, an uncharacteristic bye before the finals, given this year and the unique circumstances, it's odd not having football around. So having over a whole week off is quite unique in its own right. So we've decided that, you know, we're going to come on on air and we're going to talk about, you know, a few things that have happened this week, including All-Australian and as well as a few other um, debates that have been brought up regarding some teams and their finals aspirations. Yeah, um, it's pretty strange, mate. Um, you know, you could have been hung over celebrating a St Kilda Premiership um, you know, if it was a normal season. Well, that's right. Yeah. And um, I, I know the conditions uh, down in Melbourne yesterday were pretty poor at stages. Um, you know, it tend to shower, but the showers were quite heavy. And a question that I haven't asked you is, um, you know, there was a fair chance, and I think there is a fair chance that Richmond will make the grand final. So how do you think they would have fared in yesterday's conditions? You reckon that would have been an advantage for them? They would have played right into their bread basket. Yeah. That would have been yeah, absolute ideal. They love the wet weather because, you know, the wet weather sort of, um, it endorses the way that Richmond play, you know, that just surge forward and, you know, that's the best thing to do in wet weather and they sort of just come together. Yeah, I think a team, you know, like Geelong has the quality to win the ball in the middle and really, um, you know, just push it forward as well, just that bomb at long. But, the way that they've played at times this year, they really desire that clean football. So I feel like they would have, you know, potentially not been able to play their football they're most capable of. So I feel like Port Adelaide would have also fared pretty well with, you know, similar yeah. conditions being wet because they're so hard in the midfield and able to get that contested ball. Yeah, I think you're right there. And uh, it would have been a bit hard for West Coast. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you can really see them starting to do that run. And in a lot of the previous weeks, they've, um, they haven't been attacking anywhere near as much as they'd like, I feel. They've been doing a lot of counter, you know, stuff on the counter, quick movement. So, yeah, I feel like that would have impacted them. Um, oh, I can't remember what night. Was it Wednesday night or Thursday night where they had the All-Australian and the awards? It was Thursday. Yeah. So you had Caleb Sarong as a rising star. How did you, um, was that expected from you? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that was, um, it was, he's been pretty consistent Fremantle this year. He was really the only logical selection for mine. Uh, Noah Anderson was good in patches. I, th I felt that he started to build a bit towards the end of the season. Um, there were a few other excitement packages, obviously, like, uh, Rankin and Matt Rowell, obviously, but um, yeah, obviously Rowell had had he played a full season, he probably would have won it. But now, good on Sarong. Yeah, um, and like you said, he just started playing at that quality that Anderson built up to. But he was playing that way from about round six onwards. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that he was a deserving winner of it, and um, big things to come for him. And it just goes to show. Uh, you know, Freeman, we spoke about it last episode, Freeman will look like they're on the right track and really developing some of their youngsters. Yeah, they are looking the good. Just, yeah, just need to need to draft well again and maybe try and, you know, get some experience in the off-season and 
you know, really start building towards what could be a, you know, potential finals campaign and then also potential top four campaign if they're able to hold on to all these good young players. Yeah. You know, um, so um, we had the All-Australian. Um, I'm sure to all the, everyone in the footy circle was fairly contentious and um, is the main subject of my segment, you can't be doing that. So I know uh, last episode I uh, specifically targeted one person, which is a bit harsh. So this time I've decided to really spread it out and I think I have about nine people to target this time. So I've got Gil McLaughlin, Kevin Bartlett, Luke Darcy, Steve Hocking, Glenn Jakovic, Chris Johnson, Cameron Ling, Matthew Richardson, and Warren Treadray. Now, they are the players that... Sorry, they are the people that picked the All-Australian team. And for most parts, I think that there's, um, you know, there's a lot of value for what they've picked. And, you know, correct definitely in some instances. But what you can't be doing is you can't be putting players based on reputation in the All-Australian team when they haven't had their best season and people have played better than them. It's that simple. It's the All-Australian. It's, you know, you're playing your best position... Bonds and Pally is not on the half forward, half forward flank. He's not coming off half forward. He's winning the ball in the middle. He's their captain. That's what he does. The same, Martin, I know that he spent more time forward this year, but it's similar. He does his best work when he's in the midfield, I feel. And the same with Dangerfield as well. So I really don't think that you can be doing that and creating a, essentially a super coach team with these big names that sure they have the X factor. And when they're playing their best football, they're better than a Menegola or a Gunston or a Guthrie. But just because they haven't done it on a consistent basis this year, they still don't get to go in because of their name. So you can't be doing that. Not on. Fair enough. There was, this probably been the most controversial um, All-Australian team that I can remember. And um, what's your thought of the selection of the captaincy was that this um, the right call? Uh, sorry, who was the captain again? It was Patrick Dangerfield. Yeah. Um, look, at, I lo- I think it it's right in the sense that you know he's the leader of the AFL Players Association and all that. He seems to be, you know, one of the main people that's you know focused around when any player issues are spoken about. But, you know, as we'll get to in a second, um, I think it's contentious that he's even in the All-Australian team in the first place. So, you know, the contentious All-Australian team has forced us to make our own All-Australian teams based on the top 40 that was selected and shortlisted. We've gone and made our own All-Australian 22. So did you want to start, Ned, with your back line? Yes, so my back line starting from the full backs. Um... Luke Ryan from Fremantle, uh, Harris Andrews from Brisbane, and then Dylan Grimes from Richmond. Uh, I'll do my halfbacks. So Nick Floston from Richmond, Jacob Wiedering from Carlton. Is Jacob Wiedering? Yep. Yep, yeah, Jacob Wiedering from Carlton. And uh, Nick Haynes yeah. from the Giants. No, sir, I think, yeah, I think, um, you know, Potentially the most outspoken ones in that back line of Brad Shepard and Luke Ryan. Um, both, you know, obviously to make the 40, they've had very good seasons. But 
you know, um, considering some of the other players that have missed out, I feel like they were better performing. But it's also hard, you know, I know for a fact that I really struggle to get a gauge on some of the interstate um, players, you know, especially like Darcy Byrne-Jones, for example. I know, for example, he played really well when St Kilda played them. I've seen him in bits, in dribs and drabs of other games, but it's hard to continually focus on them and hear their name repetitively. All right, so what's your back line? Well, I've made two changes in saying that. I've um, dropped Brad Shepard and Luke Ryan. Um, so I've got in my fullbacks, I've got Wiedering, Harris Andrews and Byrne Jones. And then off the halfback, I've got Haynes, Darcy Moore and Maynard from Collingwood as well. So he slips in. Though he's had a great season. I think he's a pretty good player. Um, yeah, pretty damaging coming off the halfback line, but he also holds his forward accountable when going forward when the ball is going forward. Didn't hold Willie Rioli accountable, that was for sure. Ah, oh, jeez. I... <laughs> they shoved. So, um, centre. So, this will be interesting to see with so many names. You know, I haven't um, had a real look at yours, so it'll be interesting to see who you've come up with. Yeah, so my centre line, um, Marcus Bontempelli, who is my vice-captain. I think it sort of makes sense because he's, um, I mean, giving him a vice captaincy because he is captain of his side. Would I say he's the best captain in the league? Probably not. But um, he does show good leadership qualities. And then uh, Travis Boak from Port, who I have as my captain, obviously a former captain of Port, um, very experienced head. And then um, Patrick Dangerfield on the other wing. Yeah, right. So you've gone danger into the wing position. That's right. Was he? Yeah. Where was he originally? He was, oh, he was also on the. Yeah, he was on the um half forward line. So I think um, I think um, you know he's got a real strong clearance game, Paddy Dangerfield. So, you know you don't you know he's I don't think he's as dangerous as a Fife or a Martin when he goes forward, because I think he's most dangerous. Um, asset that he has is his, you know, his quick running ability and able to, you know, really get the ball into the forward line quickly and get good purchase on his kicks. Yeah. Yeah. So for my um, centre line, I've included uh, Menegola uh, and that's alongside uh, Neil and Guthrie has kept his spot as well. Um, purely based on form this year, uh, Menegola you know, it's interesting. I did a comparison with him and McRae, you know, both similar type players. But it ends up being that although McRae averages more disposals and slightly, slightly more effective by foot, Menegol is a lot more, has a lot more of an attacking presence and is able to get down and kick goals. He's kicked 13 this year compared to McRae's three. So I think that he's had a good enough season to earn that spot on the wing. Yeah. Fair enough. So I'll do me forward line. Um, I think this would be a bit more music to your ears. So um, half forward, Tom Papley, Charlie Dixon, and Christian Petraka. Full forwards, Dan Butler, Tomahawk, and Dustin Martin. Yeah. 
No, it's um, it, yeah. I mean, it's a good forward line, and uh, you know, I completely understand where you're coming from with Dustin Martin because he is so dynamic and electric when he's up forward as well. Very difficult to get a match up on him. Yeah, I think he kicked. I think he's kicked what sixteen goals or fifteen goals this year. Something yeah, like that. correct. Fifteen. So um, I think getting purchased in a shorter season from a fifty-fifty sort of part-time forward. And you've got to remember, he's up, he's up alongside Lynch and Rebold as well. So, you know, often he's definitely not the first target to go to. And he hasn't been kept one-on-one deep this as much this season. So, still had a good effort. Um, on my half forward line, I've got Petrucca, uh, Charlie Dixon, and I've put in uh, Jack Gunston, which is, you know... If um, it's slightly controversial, I'm understanding of that. But uh, given that the amount of forwards that were actually picked in the top 40, there wasn't a um, real batch to choose from. So I've gone with Gunston yeah. on the the mere premise that, you know, the midfielders belong in the midfield in this sense. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's pretty crazy. Um, sorry to interrupt you, but no, you're right. I reckon this year has been one of the years where the squad of 40 has probably been made up with more defenders than, than forwards. And yeah. we've always gone on about how defenders don't get that much recognition. But you only had to see from the side who, um, you know, who missed out on the, um, prop, like the official side. But then you look at us, you know, with our sides that we're doing now. And, you know, we still – and I know when I was doing mine, I still thought there was probably about three or four – players I could have easily chucked in there. And I thought mm-hmm. they were a bit stiff. Yeah, spot on, you know, like, you know, names like Tabner and all that come pop up that have had really good seasons, you know, probably a tad unfortunate to, as long as the, as well as the other names, you know, that were publicised so much that was stiff to make the 40, you know, Stephen May and stuff like that. Um, in my full forward line, I've got Tom Papley, uh, Hawkins, and then Butler as well. So I, I think that um, out of the three small forwards in there with Butler, Papley and Ryan, I feel like Ryan would have been my last choice. So it was interesting to see that he was the first picked. I think it's more, you know, it's just that, me, you know, attention that the media receives off him. You know, he's a big, he's a bit of, becoming a bit of a cult hero and a real focal point for media. Okay, so um, I'll go through my followers and my interchange. So my followers are um, Nick Nat, um, Lockie Neal, and um, the Man of Steel. And then uh, my interchange, Darcy Byrne-Jones, Taylor Adams, Liam Ryan, and Gorn. So I sort of tried with my bench to do sort of one from sort of each line. So you went Gorn, did you? Because we were having discussions over the two Ruckman yeah, I was thinking about it, but I thought if I was really going to build a side, um, and I think in, you know, over the last few years, you've seen, you know, the premiership sides have two Ruckman. I think two Ruckman is probably going to be the way forward. Well, at, alongside with that, you know, it's been really well publicised that Nick Nat struggles to get a significant amount of game time. He really needs someone to go alongside with him. So it's probably a good call in the end. Um, my followers, I've got Nick Nat, I've got Boak, who's my captain as well. And I've also managed to put Jack Steele up in there as well. And I've just managed to do that by putting Petrarca into the half forward line. I feel like he's, you know, 
pretty dangerous up there. Uh, interchange, I've got Taylor Adams. I've got McRae. I've got uh, Bonton Pally. And I've also got Grimes, who made his way in. So, definitely, you know, partly for his theatrics as well and his diving tendencies. Going to have to work on that. All Australians shouldn't be doing that, mate. Uh, mate. <laughs> mate. I'd do a lot of things for a premiership medal and I think <laughs> I'd definitely dive for a premiership medal. That's a good point. Um, all right. So that's our All-Australian side's done. So um, I've written up a few topics and so have you yourself about, well, leading up to the finals. Obviously, we will digest, um, dissect um, the um, four games later on in the week, but we'll just probably talk about headlines and... You know, just a few questions that seem to always get thrown around around this time and then things um, relevant to some of the teams that will be playing. Yeah, I think the first place that we should start, you know, is um, two what I think will be significant players in the final, that being West Coast and Richmond, you know. I think they're going to struggle to figure their starting 18. They've got some big names coming in. So what? how – you being the Richmond man, of course – how do you think they're going to cope with that? And what changes do you see them making? Yeah, so just being in, um, you know, a lot of Facebook groups and all that amongst other supporters, um, obviously we've, um, we'll have three players coming back in who I think are, you know, you'd say a walk-up walk up starters in um, Dion Prestia, best and fairest winner last year, Tom Lynch and Shy Bolton, who I think will take out our best and fairest this year. Um yeah, it'll be – and, yeah, all this discussion's been, well, who goes out? Because, obviously, last week against Adelaide, the inclusion of Edwards and Asprey. So, the Adelaide game, a few players are playing, you know, for their finals. Um, probably the obvious ones for mine would be Jack Ross, um, Potentially a Castagna or a Rioli comes out just because I think I think um, Jake Hartz has been our best um, small forward all year. So that's probably a role that Bolton would come back into, being a small forward. Um, that probably so you don't think – so you think with Prestia and Edwards back in, you think that Bolton will be sent back to the forward line more so than that extra I, midfield I think time? so. Yeah, I think so. Um, Edwards, you can sort of play anywhere, so but um, he's he's good up and around the contests. Um, and then Lynch, you know, you probably see um, you probably see someone like Caddy or um, Mubby or Chol missing out. Yeah, I I think you know, and I for a lot of teams this pre-finals buy is going to be a real advantage. You know, I know that for the St Kilda Western Bulldogs game, for example, you know, Zach Jones is almost a certain starter for St Kilda, which uh, I think is necessary for him, you know, for St Kilda to be any chance. But then you look at the Western Bulldogs as well and, you know, there's question marks over Norton and Mitch Wallace. And you think if that was played this weekend, then there wouldn't have been any chance. So, um it ends up being quite helpful and considering the amount of uh, just the, how quickly this season has gone and the shortness of breaks between games, it's, um, it's a good little 
it's good, you know, just way to break it up. Um, mm. It's interesting to see West Coast, you know, they've got um, Jamie Cripps estimated to be back. Uh, they've got Lewis Jetta, McGovern, you know, he's going to have a test and see whether he's right, as well as Jack Redden. So they're really, yeah. you know, if they end up getting four or five players back, I think that they're almost good enough in their current team and where they're playing to beat Collingwood without those players. But, it, yeah. you know, if they can get them in, that would be... Yeah, that's um, obviously going to do you more good than bad. Exactly right. And you've got Josh Kennedy as well, who's a bit of a 50-50. I think he did his ankle in yeah. the last um, round. Obviously, Yo won't be coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, like what you said, West Coast... They're pretty well placed and um, obviously getting a, a home final, um, you know, will will be beneficial, um, extremely like best home ground advantage really in the mm-hmm. comp. But um, then going forward, they're either going to be playing Port Adelaide in Adelaide or Geelong over in, um, over at, I'd say at the Gabba. I'd probably say they'd nominate the Gabba. Yeah. Well, um, it's interesting, just before we get to that and leading into the playing in West Coast and playing at, you know, arguably the place that has the biggest home advantage, we had Kane Corns say today or um, earlier yesterday that Collingwood are just making up the numbers. So do you, do you agree with that statement? Uh, I don't think so. I think um, what we saw Collingwood dish up against Port Adelaide, um, they weren't terrible, um, Port you know, being the best side in the comp all year. Um, no, I think that's a pretty ludicrous statement from um, Kane Corns, but we've come to expect that. Um, I, re- I really think if Collingwood are somehow able to beat West Coast, um, I reckon they could probably knock out Geelong and possibly even have another crack at Port, um, mm. you know, with a bit of fire in the belly from, you know, the game that they just played. So I don't think they'd be making up the numbers there. Um, you know, a quality side. They made a grand final a couple of years ago and they made a preliminary final last year. And you don't do that from, you know, from a fluke or not being a good team. Well, yeah, I think given the way that all of these teams in the eight performed in their last rounds, um, I don't think teams just make up numbers. Um, no. You know, particularly I was very um, surprised with the effort that Collingwood put in against Port Adelaide. That... I think that went as well as they could have expected it to have gone. Yeah. Um, but still, I think the odds are heavily stacked against them and it's going to be a tremendous effort if they do manage to get up against West Coast. But to say that it's over before it's even started is yeah. is quite silly by Kane Corns. But, and as you said, what else are we to expect from him other than ludicrous statements, really? Yeah. So, um, our great mate, Tyler... Um, his side port uh, probably a right in the box seat for a third grand final, um, two two home finals, and um, obviously Thursday night they can dictate if it's going to be a home semi final or a home prelim final. Yeah, well, I mean, they're really just they just keep on giving, you know, and I've, you know I'm definitely one that's underestimated them this year and their ability to. Just keep getting the wins, you know, being in first place the entire season. And it really is, they're, they're, it's in their own hands. Uh, it's going to be a great game on Thursday night. Uh, 
I think they'll come in favourites, but we'll talk about that more tomorrow and what they need to do. But even then, you know, if you were to look at it in terms of favourites winning, they'll more than likely come up against Brisbane, I suppose, in a home prelim. And I can't, you know, with Brisbane's current issues, I'd struggle to see them winning. So I think that, you know, Port Adelaide and Richmond are probably the two teams to beat at the moment. Um, I think if Geelong manages to get the win on Thursday, then that shifts dramatically and changes everything around it. But I think it's pretty hard to look past Port Adelaide and or Richmond at the moment. So Port, if they are to beat Geelong, they will have a home final against either Richmond, Brisbane, Bulldogs or St Kilda. Yeah. Yeah. And I think playing either of those sides at home... Um, get back him in. Get back him in to do the job. Uh, St Kilda beat them in Adelaide, so shout out Tyler on that one, mate. But no, that's right. But the way that they're playing this year and they've been so consistent, it'd you know you'd be a pretty um, pretty risky individual to try and bet against them. Yeah, that's right. Um, so um, you know, um, Mitch Robinson has been pretty vocal this year. Um, and his, his Brisbane mob um, had a good season last season. They've backed it up again, having a good season. Obviously, he's going to be fire in the belly from the straight sets exit from two home finals. Um, so, in my opinion, and with also with Brisbane um, being on the receiving end of the longest current losing streak against another side, it's their time, best time to right a horrible wrong, I reckon, being... Um, coming up against Richmond, in which Richmond are red-hot favourites to get the job done. That's it. Uh, it's a kind of a different perspective that you've brought on it, Nate, considering that you're so pro-Richmond and anti-Brisbane. It's good to see it from another lens. But um, you're exactly right. If there's ever a chance to do it, you know, I don't know whether it's sitting in the back of their heads, their performance last year to go out in straight sets at home. Um, but, you know, to be undefeated this year at the Gabba, you'd like to think that that would solidify in themselves some confidence of them being able to get the job done. But, yeah. wait, did you guys play them at the Gabba or was that at Metricon? This year, this year, Metricon. Yeah. So, you know, that's something that they're going to have in the back of their heads. They they can't beat you guys. And I think that would bring a lot of confidence to Richmond and their players and their whole group. You know, they go in knowing that. And as long as they bring the right intensity and attitude, which they're a very professional side, you know, this isn't their first rodeo. They've done this many a time before and they're attempting to create a dynasty. So, you know, I think it, it really is the right time to patch up the mistakes they've made in years gone by for Brisbane. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and obviously, um, last year um, they had the they played back to back games against Richmond. Obviously, the last round of the season. That's right. Yeah. And then obviously the second qualifying final, and um, you know they were two very ordinary performances, uh, two very contra- contrasting um, performances as well. Last year, um, Richmond really got the jump on them. We went to that game and. Richmond had the jump on them, and I think we're about five goals up at half time. And Brisbane were able to claw their way back into it, but it was a bit of too little, too late. And then um, two weeks later in the qualifying final, Brisbane really got the jump, and Richmond really had to claw their way back into it. 
And then um, just recently, um, this season, they um, they really shot themselves in the foot with terrible kicking. So well, that's um, something that's become a bit of a feature, not only in their past two games against Richmond this whole season. Is there inaccuracy in front of goal? You, yeah. I think that'll be significant if they can get the score on the board early on. Similar to that um, qualifying final last season, I think if you know they if you'd switched around the goals and behinds column, I think that uh, with that would have come a lot more confidence. They'll get in the job done. Might have been able to push on with it. So, yeah, um, yeah, they're really going to have to to find that to find that way of um, being able to be more accurate in front of goals. Now that might have to be in a way that they maybe have to try and give themselves better quality shots because I have seen I've seen a few of their games and um, their quality of shots aren't fantastic. And um, obviously, you're not going to be very accurate when you're having to kick them you know, from the boundary, like 40 out on the boundary or right in the pockets. Whereas, you know, when you look at um, St Kilda earlier on in the year, what Richmond have done over the last few years and Port Adelaide have done this year, you know, getting shots, you know, well, you know, getting the ball out the back, having shots, you know, 20 out directly in front. Um, you know, it's... I still think that... Um, Inside, well, I mean, scoring efficiency is the um, most important stat in football because, um, you know, you only win on the scoreboard. Yeah, go kick the winning score. Um, so then we move into um, the next column. Um, can Collingwood or West Coast, now this could be quite a good game and two very capable sides, do they have the potential to cause... Any chaos, obviously, the winner out of that game will play the loser out of Port Adelaide and Geelong. Could either of those sides set the loser of that side packing? Um, I think if West Coast make it through, there's definitely a case. And we spoke previously about the number of ins that they've got coming. You know, And then you start looking at a very similar list that they've had in the past two seasons where they've been quite successful. Do I think that they're good enough to get, you know, if both teams are playing their best football, I'd still think that neither Port Adelaide or Geelong will go out in straight sets. Um, I think this year, uh, unlike some years of the past where form has been a real indicator at the end of the year, I think the top eight that's set out is set out in, you'd have your power rankings almost the same. So I'd probably Mm. chuck Richmond ahead of Brisbane in terms of power rankings, but it's it's all very similar. Um, so, but it, w- it would be a great semi-final regardless of who is, and that's something that I think's also happened in this final series. I think that all the games are going to be really close. You know, I remember last year we had was last year the year with West Coast and Essendon in the qualifying final. Yeah. So yeah, and um, West Coast pants them, didn't they? Well, that, oh, that's right. You went into it knowing, you know, knowing before the game had started. Yeah. You know, and this year's eighth place, Collingwood, I think they're a far better team than what Essendon were last year. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. So I think the top eight is a, is of a really good calibre this season. I And yeah. I expect all of the first week of finals to be tight encounters. Yeah, so... um. 
And then moving on to the other elimination final. Um, can you see the Bulldogs or the Saints um, being able to get past um, Richmond or Brisbane? Obviously, your Saints um, did a job on my mob earlier in the year. So, um, if St Kilda lo- uh, win and Richmond lose, there could be you know a bit of confidence there from St Kilda knowing that they've done it before. Yeah, it's going to be a bit awkward on the bloody podcast if uh, if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, personally, I- I'm hoping that uh, Richmond get the job done against. Br- I'd much rather play Brisbane in a semi-final than Richmond. I I feel like when we played you guys, you weren't in bad form, but you weren't in the form that you're in now. And I think, you know, if you ask Bulldogs fans, they'd probably want to come up against Brisbane. But the, the truth remains that if if you want to win a premiership, you've got to beat any team in the finals at any time. Yeah, so... Obviously, you, know, you can always get a bit of luck, but um, you, you, you can't be bank, banking on luck to win a premiership. No, that's it. Look, I think that if... I think this St Kilda or Western Bulldogs, for that matter, are far more likely to make a prelim if Richmond win the first qualifying final. Right. So, yeah. Your so, thoughts? Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, anyone's beatable. Um, we've seen that um, over the last few years. So, um, but I think... I think there's potential in um, St Kilda. Um, obviously, a great start to the year. Um, Bulldogs probably haven't really hit the mark. Um, you know, probably over the last two seasons, they just haven't been about where, you know, where they could potentially be. But um, obviously, you've only got to look back, you know, what, four years ago, what they were able to do. So... Anything's possible. Anyone's beatable. Excellent summation. Spoken like a true professional. Um, and then this one, I reckon you're probably going to disagree with me on this. Um, I've been very strong on this um, since the inception because I think it um, puts top four sides at a disadvantage. And that's the pre-finals buy. Now, I... It's probably a bit easier to come from my perspective um, about that I don't like it um, because obviously my my team has won um, three of the last, well, three qualifying finals in a row to have a week off going into a prelim. And um, I feel that's just not a great thing for form. And I think there should be a bit more um, incentive for top four sides. Um, and I think this was Richmond, you know, this didn't help Richmond at all in 2018 in which things came unstuck in the preliminary final against Collingwood is that you play two games of football in a month. So mm. it's hard to find any, find any sort of consistent form. So for mine, I'm not a fan of the pre-finals by, I think it just, um, I, I'm, I'm all like, yeah, I understand people want things even and all that. And it's probably going to help sides out, you know, with injury returns, but, I think you still have to be able to give an incentive to teams that finish in the top four. Uh, Yeah. Look, to a certain extent, I I agree with you. In theory, I think it's an excellent idea. You know, you allow everyone to freshen up and 
all that. But then you have to start looking at particular circumstances. And you're right, you know, top four teams, if they're winning, they're playing two games in a month and they lose any form of continuity. Um, I remember it being quite contentious in 2016 because the Dogs got about four or five players back um, because of the pre-finals buy. And essentially, you know, they're going to be facing a similar thing this year. You know, they're going to get a few players back in, as the West Coast. So I think for, for that reason, it, it kind of disrupts the current flow of things and it allows teams that, you know, look like they're out of it to come back in, which you can argue is good or you can argue is bad. You can argue that it's bad because, you know, it's not basing it on the run-in at the end of the home and away season. Or you can say it's good because they're going to have their best team back and it should be best team against, you know, someone's best 22 yeah. against another's best 22. Um, yeah. So I think it's good in theory, but when it gets, you know, when you have these things come up that really shift it, I think that that's when it becomes an issue. So I do sympathise for... Um, you know, the teams that win, because I'm sure that, especially in 2020, when you've been playing games so regularly, if you end up playing two games of football within a month, it's going to feel like you're in a completely different season, a year, different year. Yeah, that's right. And then um, you have, sorry, you go. No, 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 you go. Yes. And then, and then on other, you know, you look at the other end of the spectrum and you're going to have teams that are going to be able to get their full list back and going to be ready to go for finals. So I guess it just depends who, you know, where your team is. And I know from a neutral standpoint, I think you could argue either way, really. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there is, there is advantages and disadvantages to it. But yeah, I'm, I'm probably coming more from a top force perspective. And I only say that because I think, you know, everyone aims to finish top four because, you know, the incentive that you get of having the week off, which I think if, you know, yeah, I just think that, you know, you finish top four, you should be given a bit more of an advantage. And I think that just this buy just gives the top four a disadvantage. It would be a very interesting question to ask, you know, current players or you know, former players that have been introduced to the pre-finals by if they have suffered from the lack of normality in playing two games in a month when they have been in the top four. So to get a gauge off them is probably the best way to decide whether the pre-finals buy is appropriate or not. Yeah. Um, so just drawing our attention on football for a minute, um, I'd just like to inform you that your mate Cam Ward has actually picked Scott McLaughlin off the start line in the race that Taylor Bennett is currently in the lead. Ah, oh, good on him. Hey, superstar, he's going to be the next big thing. Best in since last Brady, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in the way, monster energy car. Can't go wrong. That is a good-looking rig. Yeah, absolutely, that black and green. Two bad, you know, uh, one of the very best colour schemes, I reckon. That and red, white and black. Gee whiz. Just a quick plug. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, so um, uh, I'm just going to fire this question at you. It's a yes or no question. We did touch base on it uh, last week. Should Geelong be concerned coming up against Port, playing over in Adelaide, um, and their performance against um, Sydney was quite lacklustre? Um, if you if you were in the Geelong camp, would you have any some feels a doubt in the back of your mind or would you be somewhat concerned 
Uh, I thought Port played a very good game against Collingwood and obviously having to go over there. And the crowd, you know, we know what the crowd's going to be like. It's going to be um, very one-sided. Is, you know, is there going to be traces of doubt in the back of your mind if you're, you know, an assistant coach or a player or, you know, or Chris Scott? I think they'll be cautious, you know, that they'll know that they're coming up against the best team all season. I have done a bit of research on this and there seems to be a lot of, um, uh, not confusion, a lot of arguing over who's going to get the spot over Atkins or Jack Stephen. That seems to be the biggest, you know, the spot that needs to be filled. And the argument's sake is that Atkins is more defensive and Jack Stephen's more attacking. So... They got, they're pretty solid in the attacking. To answer your question in short, I don't think they'll be worried. Um, I think they'll be aware that they need to play a lot better than they did against Sydney or else it's going to be a big loss. But I think that... I don't think they'll play as badly as they did against Sydney. I think that, um, as I said last week, Sydney, you know, were playing very attacking. I don't think Port Adelaide will play a similar brand of footy to that. So I think it'll be a really good game. I think both teams will back themselves in to get the win and play their style of footy. And it'll be really interesting to see who comes out on top. But you're right, the hostile crowd will have some impact, absolutely. Yeah, if Porter able to, you know, chuck on two or three early ones, um, you know, it's, gonna, it's not going to make life very fun for, um, for that mob. Um, Plus, in excess at the start of the game always gets oh, the bloody Jesus. opposition nervous. Yeah, never tear our tarps. <laughs> um, so, I know before, you know, when we chatted before we started recording, um, I didn't really have anything laid out for Ned's Nuggets of Knowledge. I actually did have something that I did think about. Um, I think I saw it yesterday on, um, on Facebook. Um, and once again, it's going to be um, relevant to my side. Um, so, um, so this will be um, so Richmond um, have finished top four for the last four consecutive years, and this is the first time that that has been achieved since 1975, back in the Hafey days. For for Richmond as a club, or? yeah, for Richmond, yeah, as Far a club. Out. Well, that's you know, I mean, it's a, it's a long, long time, but you think about, gee, I. There wouldn't be too many clubs that have also done that top four for four consecutive years. So, yeah, Geelong know, would have done. I'm it sure Geelong and maybe Hawthorne back in their heyday would have. Yeah. Oh, I guess um, you would have had Brisbane, Port Adelaide would have done it three years. I know they they won minor premierships three years in a row. See, I think, I think when St Kilda were getting around playing really good footy, they would have only done 2008, 2009, 2010. 2011, they went out in the elimination final. So, yeah, um, yeah, it'd be a pretty hard feat. But um, you obviously, obviously, nowadays you see teams have bursts. You know, they do it in patches. Like yeah. you know, you had you had the Saints. You know, when they made those two grand finals, you had Brisbane. Um, then you had the West Coast Sydney, uh, Geelong, and then also. You know, Collingwood had a little patch there. Um, Sydney, you know, had a patch for a few years. and made a few grand finals. Obviously, Hawthorne. I wonder, and, I always um, wonder what approach you'd take if you're, a, you know, a list manager or a big 
you know, a big figure in a club, whether you try that consistently up the top as Geelong's done. I know they've had some things fall their ways in people wanting to come back home or whether, you know, you hit the top, you go right down back to the draft, rebuild, and then you give it another crack in five, 10 years time. I think it'd be based on which club you're at. I think, I think if you're at a, you know, one of the big four Melbourne clubs or you're at, um, Adelaide or West Coast or um, possibly Sydney, you know, being in, you know, those biggest sides and all that, you probably, you probably just want sustained success like Geelong, you know, it might not guarantee you a premiership, but you know that you're going to be, you know, you're going to be making prelims, making semifinals, you know, consistently. Yeah. Um, Whereas if you're like, say someone like a, St Kilda or North Melbourne and obviously like Melbourne, you know, sides that are, um, you know, in a bit of a premiership slump, like, you know, haven't tasted success in a long time. You're probably just going to be going all out for just that one. And then obviously see what comes out of that. Well, I often feel that if you go for that continued success, you leave yourself very precariously placed. If you're not reliant, you're relying on picking people up. And we've seen the issue with that, you know, we've got, um, We've got Essendon who seem to be in that slump now where they just find themselves middle of the road. And, um, you know, they can't really go back to the draft now. They've just got to try and pick players up as they go along unless they're going to call that all up and start from scratch. So it's it's a very good um, conundrum to try and figure out. All right, yeah. so that do us for tonight, Nettie. Yeah, that, that'll do. That'll do, Donkey. That'll do. Uh, beautiful. Well, that was the end of episode 14. As we said, we'll probably upload something just prior to the first qualifying final on Thursday. Um, and that'll just pretty much be an insight into all of the games. It'll be, include our tips. And um, I'm looking forward to finals football. It's going to be a cracking first week. It's good to have it back. It's going to be good. A last bit of Ned's nuggets of knowledge. If Scott McLaughlin is able to pip um, <laughs> Jamie Winker and finish in front of him. Scott McLaughlin will become the first ever driver in the Blue Oval to win three consecutive drivers' championships. Jeez. Far out. That, I mean, I would go on a Ferg's footy fan bit, but that's pretty amazing considering, you know, how long it's all been around for. All right. Thank you, everyone. And on that note, we'll see you later. See you.